Okay, okay, okay. Turn the lights down low. I'm gonna tell you a scary story. It's Friday the 13th, Halloween night. Are you following? Okay. Uh -oh. You get a notification on your phone. Hey, cutie. He's zero feet away. <gasps> and then you feel a tap on your shoulder. <gasps> oh my god! You're real. <laughs> You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be see. <laughs> Oh, hello there. Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from the TCQ video store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. I'm the turd you're trying to fish out of the toilet. My name is Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why are you trying to fish it out of the toilet? Can I get some privacy? <laughs> And I'm Tina the Turkey Tammy. <laughs> My name is Raymond. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to our newest episode, everyone. We are breaking barriers today. We are doing something we said we'd never do. We are talking about gateway horror. <laughs> the actual horror. <laughs> oh what do you consider gateway horror? it's a gateway horror like something that would like tantalize your taste buds you know something to like an appetizer almost something that's gonna lead you to the good shit i don't know like what we're about to talk today is a gateway horror movie i feel like where it's something that's not too scary but it can definitely mm -hmm. like lead you like it'll dip your toe into like the crystal lake of horror Hello, everybody. It is season two. Ray has held out this long for a dipping your toe in the lake joke. But I agree. I think gateway horror is a stepping stone to scarier stuff, but it's not to discredit some of the scares in gateway horror movies. Are there any that pop up into your brain as like a possible gateway horror or our personal favorites? Because there's Coraline for the, like the newest generation that a lot of people mm -hmm. consider as a gateway horror. Because the other mother is very terrifying terry hatcher that's just her on a regular day of the housewives <laughs> don't you dare disobey me Coraline! no i hated her character on desperate housewives everybody uh, did but yeah i i would consider Coraline uh gateway horror movie i would also think like little monsters from uh, 1990, yes. 1980, I really no. actually couldn't remember. I wanna say it was from like the late 80s, maybe mid 80s, I wanna say. Yes, I, that's something I watched growing up. I love Little Monsters and it might, now that you bring it up, we might even cover it at some point, just because it's yes, gateway horror, but it's also not meant for kids because there are some jokes in there. And It was the said, 80s, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna keep swapping out decades. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would consider that gateway horror. And now that you mention it, it was gateway horror for me. The 80s are wrought with just gateway types of horror films because Gremlins also comes to mind. Some people mm. do categorize it as straight horror. 
but I mm -hmm. would consider it a gateway horror. It's a great stepping stone for people. I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked to talk about this week's recommended rental. Listeners, let's turn the page and venture into a highly anticipated film adaptation from 2019. Continuing our Halloween hangover month, the Carpenter Queens are turning out the lights and telling some bone chilling tales. Listeners, we are talking Andre Overdahl's scary stories to tell in the dark. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. What happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real. Oh my god. Augie! You're in the next story. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. I'm afraid that we woke something up. We've got to stop it. Stories write themselves and it all comes alive. Got a little too high before this. <laughs> Listeners, you can stream and watch Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, your gateway to horror on Showtime or Fubo? I think it's Fubo. We've been okay. mispronouncing it wrong. I obviously am not going to get a sponsorship <laughs> from, from you anytime soon. Um, how did you watch this one? I rented it on Amazon. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was only like 99 cents. Let's gather around the fire and pack a bowl as we begin to talk about the scary stories to tell in the dark, as we do what stoners do. 420, what you smoking? What did you smoke with this week's watch? I decided to go like a little bit of a classic route since the movie is set in 1960 68. something. 68, thank you. Um, this is also my first watch. Uh, so I'm. this is the first time I've ever seen this movie ever. Um, so I needed to be aware, but I also wanted to like <laughs> have a good time. Um, so I went with one of our pre-rolls that we still have uh, from the Marijuana Factory. And this is, damn it, I ripped the label on this one too. But this one was a hybrid. Um, hybrid. Yeah, it was a hybrid joint. <laughs> uh, I decided to go the classic route since it's like 1968. I wanted to keep the aesthetic. It felt like my uh, bubbler would have been a little too fancy schmancy. <laughs> it's too high tech. It's the 60s, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What did you pair with this week's screening? This week, I went a little fancy. I smoked Lavender Kush. Doesn't the name just like Ooh. make you immediately want to smoke it? It's from Livewell, and it is a wonderful indica. It is not too heavy for me. It is very calming. I will definitely say that. But it is a freaking fantastic time, especially for this beautiful movie. Lavender Kush, it just sounds like rich bitch sauce. While we are smoking, do you have any personal attachments to scary stories? Absolutely, bitch. I grew up on scary stories to tell in the dark. So it was, it's funny that I, not funny, it's actually kind of sad that I haven't watched it um, because I love scary stories to tell in the dark. I grew up on it. I grew up on reading those books. The artwork is infamous. Um, I just, I love scary stories to tell in the dark. It, for me, that was another gateway into horror for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the stories in it are so memorable and to see them brought to life on screen was really fun and what was a fun nugget for me and I guess I'll just bring it up now was the rhyme about the hearse not a rhyme yeah it is a rhyme the -hmm. rhyme about the hearse never laugh as it goes by that I was so happy they put that in there because that (laughs) one in particular vividly like is burned into my memory to never I and every time I see one I'm always very serious so when I drive by one or anything like I still will never even crack a smile when I see a hearse burned lessons into your brain I love <laughs> I love that is so the hearse is one of the personal faves is there any other personal faves oh yeah the scarecrow Harold Harold yes uh the pale woman and also the um Oh, the toe, the big toe woman. Uh, the big that toe. artwork is like that's another one that's burned into my memory, and I'm so glad that's one of the one of the ones that they chose to bring to life because that is iconic. I think they they chose just the right ones to really please a lot of fans. And just to piggyback very quickly, anytime I think of scary stories to tell in the dark, I think of like, do you remember the Scholastic book fairs and how mm-hmm. lit the, those freaking were? <laughs> Uh ready you went through the catalog you made sure that you came with bundles honey to drop on we didn't have much money so i had coin rolls yeah thank you mom (laughs) let me use the coins from laundry day Uh, (laughs) i adore these books i was petrified of these books for such a long time just the imagery is so ingrained on children from the 80s to the 90s so Mm -hmm. when they got a hold of this one i'm sure there was a lot of murmurs and worries when this one was announced uh because it's it's a it's nostalgia for Mm -hmm. an entire generation maybe even generations Mm -hmm. it's a very touchy subject for us but i think at least for myself when i saw um del toro's name attached instantly on board i was like instant i trust you with it i instantly like trusted it and i was like okay i'm on board enough said i can sit back and relax a little bit and Uh i think that was echoed with a lot of different people so let's check out the vhs special features and find out how this wonderful movie was made Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, released August 9th, 2019, with a runtime of one hour and 48 minutes. It is rated a controversial PG-13. I want to talk about that very quickly, because this movie, sometimes this movie, I I want to preface it, I love this movie. This movie is such a sparkle in my eye that is 2019 from horror movies, but I don't know who this movie is aimed for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Should I explain? So yeah. the, the reason why I state that is that I do believe this is a gateway horror. And I don't know if the generation that it's aiming for, their 13, like 12 year olds, are aware of scary, scary stories to tell in the dark because this movie plays off of nostalgia very, very well, especially within the timeline mm-hmm. that they chose to use. So I don't know who this movie's for. I feel like it fits in this universe that like, I, I believe it would fit for a lot of people. Does that make sense? I I see where you're going. I, okay. it, the whole point, or at least, yeah, we feel like the whole point of this movie is that it's gateway horror. And so, like you said, it was, I, I guess, ideally aimed at pre, maybe preteens to like 12, 13, 14 year olds, maybe. But the generation that is nostalgic for this content 
are my age and your mm-hmm. age. And so not only that, you said it in the 60s, which is not going to appeal to a teenage preteen, you know? So that was like another, I don't know. It's weird. It, it does have a mixed demographic. Mm-hmm. And yes, this, I understand why this PG-13 rating is controversial because a lot of us wanted that R rating for something that we find that we grew up to find horrifying like some of these things still scare us Mm -hmm. and so we wanted them to scare us but at the same time i also see why they wanted a pg-13 rating because this is still considered gateway horror and i think they they they, i think they wanted to make it gateway horror for a new generation i just don't think they made the right choices to appeal to that generation I can totally see where you're coming from because this movie walks a very fine line of being like kid-friendly horror and in my opinion, straight horror. Like there are Mm -hmm. some aspects of this movie that made me jump. And there's aspects of this movie that I don't think children are picking up. So it's difficult for me to say who your audience is, but I don't want to state that because I don't know who your audience is that this movie's not good. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's continue on because we're going to have a lot to say, surprisingly enough, about this movie. Let's move on to our, again, one tagline. What is with this month and having singular taglines? Okay, so our singular tagline. Based on the iconic book series. Honestly, I don't think you would need anything else. Yeah, no. I mean, it's straight up to the point. And honestly, the book series speaks for itself. Here you too, Tina. And with the title, like, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, what what else what other explanation do you need directed by and please we apologize if we are mispronouncing your name andre overdahl who also directed 2016's the autopsy of jane doe and the writer director of 2010's norwegian found footage film troll hunter screenplay by dan hagman and kevin hagman both of whom helped write the lego movie and a ton of other kid-centered films and with the screen story by guillermo de toro who no needs like no explanation in this video store he among the tops for us like the holy grail like his artistry his artistry i'm just gonna stop there here his artistry mm-hmm. period t tina we are we definitely worship at the altar that is guillermo del toro i'm surprised that this is like the first film that we're even like glancing upon of his filmography i know because he's got quite the <sighs> It branches. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It, he walks this line of like horror and other genres, which is why I think we haven't touched on it because sometimes it's very heavy on the other genre with just horror. Gothic. I would say it's far more gothic and macabre than I would, I guess, consider, consider horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely see his influence over everything in this oh, yeah. movie. Everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. The aesthetic, everything. Starring our starring cast, the kids who are our core characters. Our kids are Zoe Coletti as Stella Nicholas. We have Michael Garza as Ramon Morales. Uh, God, my R's are horrible. Uh, Gabriel Rush as August Augie Hildebrandt. Austin Zajor as Charlie Chuck Steinberg. Natalie Ganshorn as Ruth Ruthie Steinberg. And Austin Abrams as Tommy Milner. And I really like this cast of kids. <laughs> They're fantastic. They, it's a solid cat. We say kids in quotations because they're they're not kids. Um, (laughs) And I have to state that because I have quite the crush on Ramon Morales. 
He's adorable. Dean Norris as Roy Nichols, Gil Bellows as Police Chief Turner. We have Lorraine Toussaint as Louise Lulu Baptiste, Marie Ward as Mrs. Helderbratt, Deborah Paulette as Mrs. Steinberg, Matt Smith as Mr. Steinberg, Karen Glaive as Claire Baptiste, Kyle Labine as Deputy Hobbs, Victoria Fodder as Mrs. Milner. For our monster cast, though, we have, hello, everybody, Javier Batet, who is amazing. If you've seen a Guillermo del Toro film, you've probably seen Javier, mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. also extremely attractive when he's not a monster. <laughs> he's, <laughs> and I've heard he's just incredibly kind and sweet, and I'm so for it. He plays the big toe corpse. We have Troy James as the jangly man, Andrew Jackson as the voice of the jangly man. We also have Mark Steger as Harold the Scarecrow and the Pale Lady. Ooh, the creatures in this movie are amazing. They're spectacular. And I honestly expected nothing less. Moving on to review. IMDb gave it a 6.2 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 6.1 out of 100. AV Club gave it a B. I know. Wow. A 77% on the tomato meter and a 72% audience score. Those are pretty solid f***ing scores. These are very, very solid scores, which is surprising because I feel like Scary Stories got really hyped up. It was here and then it went away. And now it's the elusive chartreuse that she is. (laughs) For our budget, we have an estimated $25 million budget and a box office opening weekend of 20 million and a worldwide gross of 104 million. Cha-ching, baby. Cha-ching. Grab the bag and run, sis. Seriously. Well worth it. The production and... Especially for 25 million. I, I mean, Marvel movies over here are costing goddamn billion. But Jesus. yet the, the production and value in this one, I adore, adore mm. far mm. more than anything else. So for our script, the original source material, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, was a series of short horror stories for children. The series of three total collections written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamel, published in 1981 and as of 2017, have sold more than 7 million copies and effectively Dang. scaring any child who's dared to open its pages. The original charcoal and ink artwork done by Gamel have been ingrained in pop culture and have been subject of criticism and debate for its appropriateness for children. I cannot associate the two separately as if like they are together forever. Yeah, they are synonymous with each other. There was a big controversy, I think a couple years back, maybe even three or two. They had re-released it with different artwork and people were pissed. Really? People I did not hear about pissed. this. Yes. I would be one of those people. <laughs> Writing a letter? Dear Mr. Schwartz. <laughs> it totally was. But you you can't do that. You can't do that. It no. You no. Just no. You didn't get the, out of the cock a duty <laughs> car. I that like I said, that artwork and the 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 move the Wow. I'm so angry. I'm stumbling over my words. <laughs> the artwork and the content are synonymous with each other. So you can't just take it one way from the other. And the fact that they're trying to debate over its appropriateness for children, if you don't think it's appropriate for your child, don't buy it for your fucking child. Ah. <laughs> it's not like we're trying to teach this shit in schools. It's literature. 
honestly, if you can pick it up, if you'd like to, that's a whole different podcast talking about literature and like it's appropriateness for people. But I d <laughs> this, these book series are just synonymous with horror. I can still see every single cover in my brain perfectly. So mm -hmm. the fact that they'd really try to adapt this, I think took balls because Frankie talked about it in our Halloween episode with people's nostalgia and their inability to like release it. Like the, the what it is is them forever and they're willing to fight for it. So the fact that someone is willing to pick it up, whew, go off girl. And I guess we'll talk about its effectiveness. Yeah, it's quite the bite to take off. Moving forward to 2013, CBS Films acquired the rights to the book series, and by 2014, writer John August was set to pen the script. August was best known for writing Go in 1999, the Charlie's Angels reboot films, Big Fish in 2003, The Corpse Bride in 2005, and Frankenweenie in 2012. I have seen every single one of these movies, so I'm I clearly love a fan. Movies. Yeah, I didn't realize I was such a fan. But... Hollywood working its Hollywood magic. This would shift, however, because by January of 2016, it was reported that Guillermo del Toro would develop the film and possibly direct. However, the next month, CBS Films would hire screenwriting brother duo Dan and Kevin Kagan to polish the draft. But the script, however, would be ultimately credited to the Hagmans and Del Toro for receiving story by credits. <laughs> This is interesting to go from John August who, judging from his filmography, is probably one of the best people to handle this source yeah. material. And then to go to the Kegmans who, no tea, no shade, their filmography is super like comedy kid humor, like the Lego yeah. movie, anything along those lines. So I, I was surprised when I read their names attached to the script after watching this movie and then doing my research, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think the script is bad. The script is actually one of some of my favorite aspects of this movie. No, the script's not bad by any means. Like I, there, at least in my opinion, I don't re recall any like cringe worthy moments. Mm -hmm. But I think it would have been an interesting. Like I would have loved to see what John August would have come up with, considering his filmography. Moving on to production. In order to bring our fabulous creatures to life, the production team brought on spectral motion special effects. Being sure to stick to the original illustrations proved to be difficult to bring into a 3D format, but the team behind Hellboy, Stranger Things, and Blade, the production team were in fantastic hands. It, they've worked with Guillermo a lot, so hello, of course they're gonna come on board and do this. And to mm -hmm. be very frank, I am a big, big fanboy of <laughs> of spectral motion their stuff is amazing their stuff is yes. so good mm -hmm. i've seen their stuff and it's it's top tier bitch it's top <laughs> tier and this is a practical effects podcast we are whores <laughs> for practical effects Periuses. <laughs> and these are some of the best practical effects and unfortunately i'm just gonna go ahead and jump ahead and right ahead and say it the special effects that they overlay these practical effects with almost completely ruins everything uh. that these creative artists made because I saw the behind the scenes and I saw the actual practical effects and sets and costumes that were on set. They were stunning. And then mm -hmm. they overlaid it with these digital effects that completely almost took away everything that those really? artists did. 
I agree yeah. that there's some parts of this movie where I'm like, um, let's bring it back, James Cameron. We don't need everything to be Avatar. Mm-hmm. But I think that some of the overlays are actually really effective. Like with the pale lady, I think the pale lady's overlay with the full physical effect is f***ing creepy. Really, Cece, that's the one I have a big problem with. Really? Because I saw the behind the scenes and on set, she looked amazing. It looked mm-hmm. just like the book and it, it was a, it was great. And then when you see what they did with the digital effect, they it looked like they completely removed her face or not, or just like completely did a totally digital overlay so that her eyes were blinking and her mouth could move and she could like smile, I guess. And I don't know, in my opinion, the digital effects, at least for the pale woman, Mm-hmm. Um, overshadowed like all the hard work that went into making this great practical. Oh my like, god! Does this turn into parts. another arguing episode? Yeah, I think it's going to. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest drawback to creating these creatures was the fact that they only had one singular illustration for each character to base their movie characters off of. So opting to use performers instead of puppets behind the designs, it aided spectral motion in designing the effects specifically for each actor, hiring actors like Javier Botet, and then building the designs around that actor to better suit their performance, which is extremely evident in The Jangly Man. Holy Mm -hmm. crap, the movements that Troy James is capable of doing he's a contortionist so it's it's crazy and they built this costume to accentuate all the crazy positions that he can get into it's great it's fantastic i love when special effects costuming and the actor like all work together to create some of like Mm -hmm. really creepy stuff because there's a specific move that we'll talk about later on that still gives me chills because i It definitely gives you that feeling. Meticulous care and thought went into each creature design. The Toe Lady's color palette was chosen to be based around a nicotine color design with browns and yellows. Right? For the Jangly Man, a creature made of different body parts, the team actually split up different pieces of the creature to design separately to give each section of its body a different rotting and tone, all guided by Del Toro, who oversaw the designs throughout the film. I feel like it's very evident. It's very (laughs) evident. He comes from a very creative background. And so when he comes to a project, he comes prepared, bitch. Mm -hmm. He's got artwork and and references References. and notes and storyboards for days, bitch. You want to talk about costume. He wants he's got costumes for you. He's got makeup. He's got hair. He's got sets. He's got the script. He knows what actors he wants to use. He knows the production he know he's got everything already laid out in his he's head. an oscar winner snap out of it <laughs> <laughs> he is unfortunately i really don't have much to base off of andre's filmography so i can't tell what is del toro's influence and what is his influence however i think that the overall picture that's done i can't wait to talk about it because we're going to talk about it after these commercials Go get some popcorn. Ooh, you're buying. Aw. We'll be right back after these messages. You forgot to put butter on the popcorn again. Yeah, but I brought pickles, so it's fine. (sighs) We open in Mill Valley, Pennsylvania, 1968. 
We get a brief glimpse into this small town and its citizens before narrowing in on Stella. She rides her bike home and warms a TV dinner for her dad. She goes up to her room where her friends, Augie and Chuck, are convincing her to go out with them on Halloween night for some so-called revenge. From there, we join Tommy Milner, the local jock and recent army recruit, as he and his shithead friends get drunk and beat up an old scarecrow in a cornfield. How middle America of them. Oh, I know. It's like everyone else is ready to go to a hoedown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just adore, adore this movie. We, we've talked about it once. I'll talk about it again. Do not give me a long explanation at the beginning of your movie. Just drop mm. me in to what mm -hmm. this what this life is like, because that is my favorite form of storytelling. And I love it, especially since it's set to Season of the Witch, which is amazing. I mm -hmm. think the tone is wonderful. And the color palette, I'm going to constantly keep referencing just like illustrations and postcards. This feels so americana nostalgia oh, yeah. like wish you were here welcome to mills valley almost norman rock rockfell rockwell rockwell rock, rock, rockwell thank you <laughs> <laughs> that was so paps of me norman I'll take rockwell Nor i'll take norman rockwell for 300 thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree and this is a great opening i love how we open with like the town sign with the population and da 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 and you get glimpses of this small town americana feel it it sets you up for what you're in for so the film opens with its theme of course and i think it's beautiful stories heal stories hurt if we repeat them often enough we make them real they make us who we are they have such power this i learned in the last autumn of our childhood bam right in the kisser like yes please <laughs> i love this movie I, I i forget how much i love this movie because this depiction and what it is of this town is so beautifully unsettled and broken apart as the movie progresses just like your childhood get ready for shit storms kids. Ah! <laughs> i th i think this opening is perfect to be very very honest it's a great setup it's beautiful setup what do you think of our core cast of stella augie and chuck I love it. I feel like I automatically sympathize for them being like the like almost outcast loner friends who like found, you know, Us. a common, <laughs> we found like a common quality, obviously. And it's really cute. Like, um, I love that this is like their last year, I guess, to go trick or treating. And so they want to go out for one last night of debauchery. Debauchery. <laughs> I love Stella. She's a huge nerd. She's so stinking adorable. Her room is littered with horror movie posters. But we also, I really want to talk about the setting of this movie. 1968, it is the onset of the Vietnam War. It is the end of the Summer of Love. And I think that is such an interesting telling point for a horror movie that's geared towards teenagers and this is going to go over their head. This mm -hmm. is kind of where I feel like I don't know who its demographic is for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like like I stated earlier, the time setting, I feel like, don't get me wrong, I have no gripes with the time setting. I think it's great. Not at all, it's, right? But if you're gearing, if you're aiming this towards a certain age demographic, I don't think they're going to be able to relate to this time period. And it's, and it's themes and it's continuation of like childhood ending, as well as just like the onset of like, 
the fear that this happened. So this is so interesting to me that this is being told in this movie and it's told multiple times because Richard Nixon's second presidency is mentioned a lot in this movie mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. its depiction of adultheads and crooked adults, which is also played in its story later on. And the racism. And racism, because we are also introduced to <laughs> Ramon. 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 <laughs> oh, oh, Ramon. Oh, oh, Ramon. Discover me, Ramon. Just discover me. He's adorable. We don't know his story. He comes in and he's already getting shit from the white cop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the, my own, it's not even a complaint. It's a question of who are you aiming this for? Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's like a grabbing bag. It's like a grab bag of, of stuff. I don't know. The three best friends meet up for some trick-or-treating. Augie, dressed as a Perot, Stella as a witch, and Chuck as a literal Spider-Man with four legs. It is revealed that they're seeking to settle a score with Tommy Milner. They go on to explain he does it every year. Just then, they see Tommy's Pontiac pull around the corner. He speeds along the group, and one of the friends from the backseat grabs a pillowcase full of candy. As the car continues forward, one of them exclaims, It's dude's undies! Tommy slams on the brakes, and the group begins to egg and teepee his car. Just as he throws the car into reverse, Chuck lights a paper bag full of his own shit on fire and throws it into Tommy's lap, which causes them to lose control and crash into a fence. I forgot to mention the setup of this goddamn poo. When we first meet Chuck, he's mm. on this shitter and mm -hmm. he is literally scooping out his own turd. And we get also introduced to Ooh. Ruth, who is his sister, who's yeah. getting ready. And I love that she's like, what are you doing? Some privacy, please. <laughs> I love their dynamic. It's very cute. It's very believable. I, I really dig the interactions between Chuck and Augie. They're very much the comedic source yes. in this movie. Yes, I love Augie. Augie's my favorite. Isn't he adorable dressing up as Perot and he keeps getting yeah. shit because everyone keeps calling him a clown. <laughs> And he's not a clown, he's a Perot. <laughs> the cinematography has to be mentioned in the Halloween scenes. This is where I really feel like it's a postcard. It feels like an old school vintage, like Halloween postcard. Mm -hmm. So when they're walking down the street, we get wonderful shots of them in their street with this beautiful Halloween backdrop. It's a great 180 from VHS last week, is all I'm gonna oh. say. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It's they definitely wanted to capture this time and place in like history i guess and definitely wanted to give everyone that nostalgia feeling for halloween mm -hmm. and these stories and i think that did that very well i think it did very well and i'm glad that you mentioned the nostalgia because this movie feels like a childhood that anyone can kind of relate to especially the bully who doesn't want to get back at the bully <laughs> i don't i don't know if i if i if i'd shit in a bag you shit in the street you shit you shit in the sh you shit i shit <laughs> I shit in the street. <laughs> they went, they, okay. I agree with the whole bully thing. I don't know if I would have had A, the courage, or B, the shit capacity. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say hand-eye coordination to egg his car while it was in motion, but sure, pop off, sis. Uh, but they are, they are brave, and I love their storyline of them getting back at their bully on their, like, last Halloween. It's cute. Oh, the only th the other thing I have to say, and I immediately thought, I was like, 
not Ruth, not this, not Ruth being <laughs> like dating the bully. You deserve better. Come on, Ruth. She was all dolled up. She had her red dress on, ready to go. Got my hair up. When do my hair <laughs> I was trying to come up with the lot of song already. (laughs) Moving on. Tommy and his jock friends jump out of the car in distress. Chuck realizes it was Tommy his sister had a date with as she yells at him. Tommy and his goons chase the group into the drive-in where they hop into a random car to hide. They find out the owner of the car is Ramon, a very handsome Latino boy not from Mill Valley. Chuck proceeds to ask if Ramon has been living in his car and Ramon dodges the question and begins to only talk to Stella. They have a noticeable moment over Night of the Living Dead. Uh Tommy and his goons inevitably find them and orders everyone to get out of the car. No. Including Ramon, whom he calls a wetback. (gasps) Yeah, that wrote me the wrong way. I haven't heard that word in a long time. I haven't either. Girl, (laughs) my ancestors popped out. (laughs) Yeah, I I have not heard that word in a very long time and it rubbed me the wrong way. He also makes a dig at Stella asking if she's going to run away like her mommy did. It's awful. Ramon looks Tommy dead in the eye, sniffs, and tells him, You smell like shit. Get the hell off my car. (laughs) Everyone in the drive-in begins to honk and yell at the boys to leave, and they're chased off by management. After the encounter, Stella gets out of the car in tears, and the boys explain to Ramon that Stella's mom abandoned her and her father when she was young. The town gossiped about it for years, and it's taken a toll on poor Stella, who only has her two best friends to rely on. This movie is so effective at making you care for all of these characters, to be very, very honest. Uh Because Tommy. Tommy is a great embodiment of not just one singular bully because he doesn't really have a personality besides the fact that he's a bully uh-huh. but at being the personification of just like every bully any person's run into because i've had multiple tommies in my lifetime so hey. you're right <laughs> line them up front to back <laughs> you're right when wetback is mentioned the first time i saw it i was fully taken aback because uh-huh. we are Ramon. Oh, Ramon. <laughs> we identify with Ramon extremely easily. Anyone I feel like who is an outsider, who is a person of color in a town full of predominantly white individuals mm-hmm. can feel this. This becomes very real, very fast. Like yeah. all of a sudden the realizations of the real world, like childhood ending, is this moment, especially as it progresses. It's wonderful. It's fascinating stuff to watch, especially in a kid's movie. Like what the Like it's- It was way too real. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Ooh, ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I feel like a a big part of your childhood ending is seeing the ugly side of the world. And And encountering it head on. It's, it's, It's so fascinating because this child's movie is, just preteen movie like i don't even know how to classify it this movie is so good at portraying themes very well in a like a great like step stone of horror yeah i guess i'd call it the stepping stone to horror i don't know it walks this weird kind of genre line From there, Stella leads the boys to a real haunted house. The home belonged to the Bellows, one of the first founders of the town. Ramon picks the lock and the group explores the condemned home. They go on to explain the story to Ramon and that the family had a secret daughter they never let out of the house. Scary Sarah was never seen by locals, but could be heard. Ramon finds, but could be heard. 
Ramon finds a hidden door that leads to a basement, which is where Sarah's room was held. The story of Sarah Bellows was that she was hidden away inside the home by her family, and she passed the time by telling neighborhood kids scary stories through the wall. The kids who came around would often die on their way back home. So quickly, a mob formed into town to get revenge on Sarah, but they were too late. By the time they got to the house, Sarah had hanged herself with her own hair. The drama, Mama, with your own hair? I quite know. Quite the oh. stunt. She's a stunt queen. She's a stunt queen. She's pulling stunts and shenanigans at the show. But we, I have to mention that the book that apparently she's written these stories in was written with the children's blood. Oh, <gasps> yeah. That's gross and unsanitary. It's, you're going to get tetanus. <laughs> <laughs> So when they break into the home, I I love that this pen that Chuck brings around is like oh, his, yeah. is his identifier. Meet Lola. She's madly in love with me. Yeah, your hand, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this script is adorable. I love that Robo breaks off the like pick part, the metal part to pick the lock. He's like, oh, my pen. <laughs> <laughs> I love Chuck. He's so adorable. He's so funny. I also, Augie has to be mentioned as well because he's totally the millhouse of the group. Everything's coming up millhouse. I th also think the house is just perfect, classic style haunted home. I first thought it was the Stunning. American Horror Story house. I and did too. <laughs> it's the spire section of it that yeah. makes me think it is. But I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's stunning. And they said they found it like in per damn near perfect condition. We join Chuck and Augie, who are playing a game of hide-and-seek when Chucky hides in a wardrobe. He closes the doors, and when he opens them back up, the room is restored to its old glory, and he sees a woman <sighs> sitting on the bed with a Domerman picture by her side. She catches a glimpse of him, and he closes the doors in fear. As he hears footsteps approaching, Augie quickly opens the doors, revealing the room back in shambles again. Stella calls for them to come downstairs and they all meet up in Sarah's room. Stella continues to explore the abandoned room and finds Sarah's book of scary stories. Chuck is freaking out and exclaims that they should put the book back and leave. Just then, the door leading out of the basement is slammed shut, blowing the candles out. Tommy is the one who slammed the door shut and Ruth is pleading for him to open the door, even threatening to tell the police chief. He tells her to open the door and when she does, he kicks her inside and closes and locks the door after her, calling her trash. He drunkenly walks away. So I love this interaction between Chuck and Augie. Like you could, like we said, they're the comedic relief and they're totally like the BFFs. And I feel like they kind like they were friends before and they befriended Stella as well. But they're playing and um, Chuck goes and hides in this like ancient wardrobe. To Narnia. Right? It's exactly what I thought of. So he closes the doors and when he opens them back up, Boom, bitch. We are back in like full regalia, mama. It's such a great effect. It it takes you aback for a second. And I mm -hmm. think the setup scare of him rehiding in the closet, classic scary movie stuff, kids need to get used to it because I think it was great. I think the scare is awesome. I would have been fuck. I would have peed myself. I would have peed myself already. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old white lady in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds terrifying. And then this just, my only complaint is that everyone's freaking out because they're locked in and Stella's just reading the book anyway. She's like, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. I'm just going to sit here and read my book until somebody saves us. Inside, the boys try to open the door as Stella states, Sarah Bellows, tell me a story. 
a dark shadow emerges from a rocking chair and slides open the lock, letting the kids free. As they make their way out, Ramon discovers that Tommy has vandalized his car by smashing the windows in and riding wet back on it, even slashing all of his tires. Stella offers up the couch in her basement for Ramon to crash on. When they get to her house, they have an intimate moment in her room where he reads one of her stories and they geek out over some comics. After Ramon retires to the basement, she opens up Sarah's book of scary stories and begins to read. Why would you invoke her? I invoke thee. I invoke invoke thee, Sarah. Oh, it works. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. They needed to get out of there somehow. This is true. I mean, if you're going to call on a ghost to open the door, might as well do it. So the vandalism and the blatant racism that is portrayed in this movie, I think is good to show in a child's mm-hmm. movie, especially something that is so real. And ugh, it, hurt. it hurts to see that written on his car. Like it really yeah. hurts to see that written. I feel like it, it is important to show and something that you would want to push as a gateway horror uh, because a lot of the times horror movies do tackle heavy topics like racism, family trauma, rape, horror, like we've stated before, horror is such a great lens to talk about heavy topics in life. And so racism is just one of them. I mean, you're absolutely correct because this is terrible to watch and everyone else except Stella are like, okay, well, we're going to go home. What the fuck? (laughs) 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 This thing got nothing to do with me and it's way past my bedtime. So I got to go. But I love Stella and Ramon. I love their characters together. I ship them so hard. I love their moments of togetherness and how their story progresses later on. I really hope we get more of them in Scary Stories 2 because that is in pre-production currently. Oh, is it? I was just about to ask what was happening. Oh, okay. I'm interested to see what happens. But Stella's got balls for trying to hide a guy into her home while her dad is sleeping. Girl, I've tried it. It doesn't work (laughs) out. <laughs> yeah, she's ballsy. I because it's not like her dad's a drunk, but I guess he works a lot, so I guess he would knock out pretty hard. I don't because it's more than just sneaking him in. She takes him up to her room. They talk and have a conversation. I think they even eat. But Stella, she's not not that innocent. <laughs> 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 I know, but hey, for Ramon, I would too. Girl. Well, I love it because Chuck and Augie also mention on it because Augie feels some type of way, but Chuck immediately mm-hmm. snaps him back. He's like, you like any girl, so why does it matter to <laughs> you? Oh, <laughs> poor Augie. You love Augie? I, I do love Augie. I don't know why. I, I think it's it's this like Eeyore, Millhouse like quality <laughs> mixed with, he was so adorable in that Pierrot costume. I don't know. I sympathize for Augie. The device of the book, it is so stupidly meta smart that in order to tell the book, scary stories had to tell in the dark into a movie, you legitimately use a book with scary stories that tells the stories of the movie. What? What? Mm-hmm. I think I, I really like the device. I agree. I was going to yeah. say like, I, I was going to, well, because I was going to say like, I don't really like it, but I agree like it you had to have a device to tell these stories and it's different from it being a literal book like that you read to adapting it for film 
And so you had to find a way to do that. And I think this was the best way possible. And I, I like the way that they use the book in order to bring the stories to life and how to bring these kills to life, like, essentially. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Okay. Because that's what the movie is setting up, that this is created out of this mythical book by Sarah Bellows. Mm-hmm. I so desperately want them to make a copy of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark to look exactly like Ooh. this book. I would gag, honey. I would buy immediately. And written in children's blood. It's Especially in children's blood. <laughs> Thank you. I am a paying customer. I deserve top quality. Is this fresh? Uh, is this farm fresh? <laughs> oh, is this fresh blood? We cut back to Tommy, who is yelled at by his mother for coming home late and not delivering eggs like he was supposed to. She tells him he needs to do it now. Oh, wow. As he retreats to the barn, Stella reads the story, Harold, out loud. She quickly realizes the story is about Tommy. Tommy is now drunkenly walking through the cornfields for some reason and hits Harold the Scarecrow as he does. He comes across Harold walking again in his walk, leaving him confused. As he walks past Harold's post for a third time, he notices it's empty and Harold is gone. (gasps) As Tommy continues, he comes face to face with Harold walking on his own. As he attempts to make a getaway, he trips over a pitchfork that he uses against Harold and ultimately against himself. Because the fork does nothing to Harold, so he pulls it out and stabs Tommy through the stomach with it. Tommy attempts at yet another getaway, but as he does, his screams for help are muffled with straw. He begins to pull straw out of his ears and his face begins to dry and texturize. Tommy is becoming a scarecrow. (laughs) This shit is terrifying. Like, legitimately, I was very interested because this is PG-13. Majority of the time with PG-13 movies, no blood. We could be scary Mm -hmm. as we want to be, but no blood. So Mm -hmm. when Tommy was immediately stabbed with this pitchfork, I was expecting something. I was not expecting the art direction. And I think it is so effectively wicked because his blood becomes straw. And as Mm -hmm. he moves forward everything starts becoming straw his skin becomes like a sack and it is genuinely creepy especially the pov shot that's on his face Mm. and as he begins to stumble and the straw spews forward that's how we cut to our next segment but it leaves you just like gasping it is great it is and it is a great first like genuinely scary scene because we start with Tommy coming home drunk. His mom yells at him that he was supposed to deliver some eggs, yada, yada, yada. So he goes to go do it drunkenly in the dark in this very creepy cornfield, which, which like is the worst scary time. as hell because you and I have both walked through haunted uh, cornfields, <laughs> extremely stoned. And that was, it was fun. Terrifying. It, it was, was fun, terrifying. but it was terrifying. I've never heard you scream as loud as I have. <laughs> I was way too high, bitch. I was so high that night. This setup is already very scary, especially the fucking scarecrow that's just there. The scarecrow that Tommy's been beating up the entire movie. I think the setup is fantastic. And I think what makes it so scary is that you as a viewer want Tommy to get hit. Oh, get yeah. it. You just don't know how it's going to happen. And his death is so well-deserved. It is beautifully deserved. Mm -hmm. Harold is terrifying. It takes balls to take Harold, who is usually the number one depiction that people think of when they have scary stories to tell in the dark. I would say Harold and the Pale Lady are probably, Mm -hmm. like, two really big contenders. And the Toe Woman. 
to woman for sure. So it's, it takes balls to do this. And I love Harold. I love Harold killing people. I want more Harold. I love the death that Tommy gets as well. I think it w- because they couldn't use the blood and they couldn't be really gory, I thought it was so smart to use straw instead because it genuinely got a reaction out of me when I saw, when he when he pulled out the pitchfork and you just saw straw protrude out of the wounds, that was dope. And then as he continued to stumble, like when he opened his mouth and nothing but straw came out, I, was, I had a genuine reaction. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, so I thought that was really creative. That makes me so happy in such a weird way because I've been wanting you to see this movie and specifically this death so badly because I understand that this is gateway horror, but that that was horror. Shit. It's horror. It is straight <laughs> horror. I any kid watching this probably has nightmares for weeks, months because of this scene. Oh, they're gonna have a scarecrow complex just like you know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> which, which is why I, I I'm gonna keep referring to it because I don't know who your demographic is for. I think this scene is very scary. As someone who watches a lot of horror, who are you aiming for? Is this part for the adults who grew up? on scary stories if that's so you've scared the kids that these (laughs) adults have had so it's just like it's it's an interesting dichotomy that this film really plays with and i don't know if it knows that it's not doing i'm really interested to see how the sequel comes out i'm worried that they are going to take it more kid associated when i would prefer for them to turn up the horror Mm -hmm. especially these kids are coming out of childhood i want to see what their adult horror looks like oh yeah i would agree i think you go for that r rating go for Mm -hmm. it go for the treat yourself bitch (laughs) (laughs) the next day the chief stops by the mechanics and interrogates ramon essentially hinting that ramon is responsible for tommy's absence since halloween night back at school stella tries to convince the boys about this new herald story and how she thinks it's about tommy Later, Stella and Ramon go to Tommy's cornfield and discover Harold is wearing Tommy's jeans and jacket. From there, Stella returns to the Bellows' home alone to return Sarah's book. She retreats home where she finds her dad getting ready for work. He quickly dodges questions about her mom and instead asks about missing Tommy. We get a quick cut of Ruth nursing her spider bite that is getting grosser by the day. The true horror of this movie. (laughs) It's a spider bite, you butt pimple. I saw that line. (laughs) I love that line. And then immediately she closes the door on Chuck and Chuck's like, oh, my banana. (laughs) I love these little like jabs between the two. It's very believable that they're siblings. It's very believable. I love when... um, Stella and Ramon finally go to the cornfield to see if this Harold story is true. And they just see, is so, is that Harold? I wrote down that it's Harold with Tommy's clothes on. Is that Harold with Tommy's clothes on or is that Tommy? He's become Harold. So he's become Harold. So it's not a new, there's not now two scarecrows. Tommy is Harold. I believe Tommy is Harold. It's like a werewolf taking over bullshit. But I think it's effective. All you have to do is put these clothes on this kid and I get chills. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, um, I really like the relationship between Stella and her dad, especially the payoff at the end, because this dodgy section really mm-hmm. plays up an emotional beat that happens later that I'll admit I felt the feels, and I'll talk about it later. Yeah, I don't think I felt those feels, but we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> back in her room, she finds Ramon reading Sarah Bella's book and freaks out saying that she put it back. When she opens the book, a new story begins to write itself. The big toe. Move. Stella your tries big to stop it from toe. being written. 
<laughs> it's all I kept thinking about. It's so stupid. Stella tries to stop it from being written by tearing out the page, but it proves fruitless as the story is being written on every other page she rips out. She sees Augie's name in the story and calls him via walkie-talkie. He continues to eat the mystery stew unconvinced and inevitably bites down on the big toe. Stella continues to tell him the story as the corpse arrives looking for her big toe. He runs and hides in the bedroom while Stella and Ramon make their way over. Augie attempts at hiding under his bed, but the corpse finds him and drags him into the abyss, leaving scratch nails on the floorboards. This is both scary and hilarious because i i can't take a, a scary creature repeatedly going who took my toe <laughs> <laughs> it was very much beware of a crimson, crimson pig but for pg-13 audience for, oh jesus gross so this is where the tone changes. This is where, like, I feel like this horror is way more kid-based compared to our scary crow guy, which was terrifying. Because mm-hmm. the setup is fine. The ch- the chow the chowda the stew <laughs> the stew. Can we talk about the stew? You want what some about stew? the stew? Do you not like the consistency of the stew? I I want to know how long it took them to decide the consistency of said stew. Also, I'm curious, is it like, was that real stew that Augie had to eat? Was that like actually dessert that looked like stew? Like, I'm always curious as to what people are really eating in movies. Yeah, because I was like, you have to eat that take after take after take. Was that good? It has to be good for you to eat 17 times. I hope it's good for you. I think what bothers me more than anything is that she immediately calls Augie and is telling him not to eat the stew. And he's just like, what? You don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? How did she know that you were eating stew? Like, I would have immediately put the spoon down. Especially, especially considering his mom, when he was on the phone, was like, I didn't make any stew. And he's like, okay, I... I'll eat the mystery stew. What the f***? You said you liked Augie. He is Millhouse. Yeah, this is a Millhouse no. move. And as, as, as like a gateway to horror, you need to show the audience that you're going to get these dumb characters. <laughs> you are going to get these. You're absolutely going to get these dumb characters. But this is where I feel like the children's aspect really comes in. The script sometimes really morphs to like kids stuff in such a mm-hmm. very quick, like snappy way. But this is the only scene that I would really feel like it does that. I don't want to blame the story of the big toe because you have to do the big toe. People were going to get pissed off if you didn't wiggle your big toe. They were going to be <laughs> very upset. So you had to do it. But I feel like just like her saying who took my toe and like the toe itself feels very kid-like compared to like everything else. I guess that's... Yeah. It, it's I very think, interesting. But how, how do you make a story about a big toe scary? So... I, I just go to a nail salon, any place that you've been to and look for the green fungus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Augie's death though. The pulling of the bed underneath mm. is so wicked. It's so wicked. It's such a classic trope to play off of because what kid isn't afraid of what's under his bed at night? And so it's just like a classic trope to play with. And the fact that they like they do this great setup of Augie thinking that the uh, mystery woman is on top of the bed. And so when he goes to go look and there's nothing there, he immediately gets dragged underneath the bed. And it's great. He gets it horribly. And the nail effect, I have to give credit because when he is pulled into the abyss and Ramon and Stella finally make it to Augie's house and move the bed, the nails end at the wall. So excellent. It is so excellent. I think it's rad. I think it's really rad. It's just, 
it starts off super kitty and then it goes into like some really cool like horror effects yeah it's just the dichotomy the the the, the tone shifts for me sis it's giving me whiplash <sighs> stella and ramon break the news to chuck and ruth who are both in disbelief and denial the now trio try to burn the book which is essentially pointless from there, they decide to do some research on cerebellos in classic montage research fashion. <laughs> in their research, they find that the entire Bellows family disappeared entirely after Sarah's supposed suicide. They all have stories in Sarah's book. Just as they start to piece things together, another story begins to appear. The Red Spot. It's a story about Ruth's spider bite. We cut to Ruth getting ready for her big musical debut. Her spider bite is growing aggressively, so much so that it hurts her. She runs into the restroom to pop it when a spider leg bursts out and a million spiders call out all over her face and body. The trio make it just in time to throw dirty mop water in her face to get rid of the spiders. Thank you, Five. Thank you, Five. Thank all you, you can think about from the other episode. Thank you, oh, Five. Hold on, we'll get to Five's. So, this is fun because I like how they include that the stories are based off of people who've actually died in the town. They're mm -hmm. all the bellows. It's a neat little effect, especially when the book starts writing itself in daylight. You know how I feel about daylight kills. Oh my God. You know you how I feel about daylight. daylight. Well, this is good that they're setting up these kids uh, who were using this as gateway horror that you are not safe in the daytime. Do not grow up like Nick did and make the same stupid <laughs> mistakes he did. You were not safe in the daytime. Don't be like this dumb bitch. I love the research scene and especially when the red spot starts happening because Chuck, of course, ate in the library. Everybody knows you don't eat in the library. So you get ketchup on his shirt. So when this red spot starts writing itself he starts freaking out and i think it's mm -hmm. hilarious he's adorable chuck's great uh i agree uh the the red spot is disgusting and so we finally cut to ruth getting ready for what's the musical um bye bye birdie hello bye bye birdie i wasn't bye bye birdie i was kid number three where because i wasn't straight enough to play a lead <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I feel so I feel so bad for Ruth. Besides the fact that this pimple looks terrifying, but everybody backstage, especially one girl, she's just staring. God, you're greasy. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, uh, it's everybody staring at her, and she's very self conscious, obviously. And it's opening night. How dare they? And so she runs to the bathroom to go and find, oh my God, I hate popping pimples. But she goes to the restroom to finally pop this disgusting, well, it's not a pimple, it's a spider bite. She goes to try and like get whatever it is out of there. And when she does, we get this very tense and scene that's disgusting where she tries to like kind of pop it. And when she does, we just get a poop a sprout of a spider leg and she's not sure what it is at first until she goes to touch it and it starts to wiggle its little arm and when it does <sighs> boom bitch the whole spider pops out and then brr, brr, a million spiders come crawling out all over her face and it's horrifying i have arachnophobia this is this terrifying. is my worst nightmare this is terrifying so i write notes every single time that we do move we watch these movies do you want to know what my note says so hmm. it gets up to 
her going to the bathroom and it says, oh, I dig this bathroom color, Liv. And then it says, don't poke at it. And then all it is for the next seven lines is, ah! <laughs> I it was is. full blown Sarah Paulson. <laughs> it's, and she rightfully doesn't come down from the fear of the, it's I think it's a really well acted scene especially from this actress because mm-hmm. she just doesn't calm down and she has an entire panic attack and keeps screaming for the spiders to come off mm-hmm. holy crap it gets super tense really fast in this not death scene because she's alive hello everyone <laughs> Ruth's alive and then she has to be institutionalized oh I'm gonna have to go wash my sheets ooh, ooh don't oh. say that <laughs> The next day, they make their way to Lulu Baptiste, daughter of former maid for the Bellows and accused of teaching Sarah black magic. Stella finds the same music box that Sarah had in her room. Okay, so she finds this music box that Sarah also had in her room. And I'm going to go on a quick motherfucking tangent because this is my favorite part of the book series. This rhyme, this song has always stuck with me. And it's, don't ever laugh when a hearse goes by for you may be the next to die. So simple, so to the point, so bone chilling, mama. This is where that nostalgia comes in because there's a lot of moments like that in this movie where this is from a specific book. And if you know the book, this is fan service. And this is a really good fan service. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to do fan service when it's like a subtle nod to something, not just like blatantly in your face. And integrated into your story. Stella hands her the book. She says that she shouldn't have taken the book, that she angered her. From there, they make their way to the hospital seeking Sarah's patient records. The kids don't take no for an answer and sneak back and look anyway. Chuck stays behind because of a premonition of a, quote, red room. Instead, he tries to make a getaway and ends up getting chased by hospital staff. Okay. 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 So... How do you feel about hospital settings? Because I don't like hospital settings. Who does like a hospital? Amen. And to see like a vintage, like 1960s hospital also makes me really scared. All they needed was that creepy waiting room music, bitch. And I would have been out. 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 (laughs) Out. No questions asked. I think the setup is really excellent because the kids are very, everyone's aware now someone's fucking diet and we don't have much time left. So Mm -hmm. things start really ramping up because from here, meanwhile, Ramon and Stella have found Sarah's records. They discover that the family hid her away because she was an albino and different. They find a wax cylinder in her file and get a chance to listen to Sarah. On the track, we hear Sarah try to tell her story while getting electroshock therapy. They deduce that Sarah wasn't killing the kids, that the family did via mercury poisoning and the water hole from their paper mill. As the cylinder continues, Sarah begins to tell a story called The Dream. It's Chuck's dream about the Red Room. I really like this setup and scene. Okay, research is always fun. I love movies that do research. But we find out, besides the fact that Sarah was different and her family had her institutionalized it was her brother who was her doctor who was conducting isolation therapy electroshop therapy and essentially torturing sarah because she knew that her horrible family who owns the town's paper mill was secretly killing children through mercury poisoning (gasps) now they're trying to change her brain and getting her to believe that she and confess to these false murders but what freaking trips me out and i love how it's done when the cylinder is used 
she begins to talk about Chuck like it's first person and it's uh-huh. genuinely creepy. It is so creepy. It's great. It's, uh, I don't know how to explain it other than it's great. I agree 100%. We get this great research uh, scene that leads into them finally getting to hear Sarah and getting the tea on what really happened with the family because Sarah was actually um, trying to tell people that they were the ones who killed these children. Like it wasn't her and they're trying to keep her, they're trying to silence her and essentially brainwash her to other to know otherwise. And then like we get this weird wax cylinder, which I've never heard of before. I didn't I've never heard of it either. Really, I didn't realize that this was a way that they used to record sound before. Sure, pop off, I learned something new. But I agree, this the them using this device of them listening to this old track of Sarah, which then leads to the present of her telling the story of Chuck's dream is amazing. I think that was really creative. It's so creative because the even listening, I, 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 we've talked about it before, where if you can tell me instead of show me, sometimes it works very effectively because mm-hmm. the cylinder is of her getting electrocuted it's 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 her going through this torture so when her mood changes from being hurt and like trying to confess the truth and her being terrified her tone changes and she begins to talk about chuck and i i got chills the first time i watched it because it's so subtle it's so subtle it's so good it it's almost like a seamless like lead in it's so good Uh, We cut to Chucky making his way down a hallway with the alarms blared to warn of his presence. All the lights turn red. He tries to leave, but is stopped by his fear. The pale woman. With blacked out eyes, snow white skin, and stringy black hair, he can't escape her. She's at his every turn. The pale woman corners him and absorbs him? Sort of? Kind of? She kind of eats him up, I guess. Mm, ow. Mm, ow. <laughs> just see, can you never not be gay for five seconds? I'm just like, can you not be gay for five minutes? All that's left of him is half of his nudie pen. The nurse from the front desk approaches them and asks where their friend is. What do you think of this scare and this setup? Because I, you explained earlier that you, was, your biggest complaints are with this specific design. And I have some complaints of this design, but I think what really saves it for me is the direction, cinematography, and honestly, the setting. So my biggest gripe with this is that they made this amazing practical costume and did this makeup. It was great. And they, in my opinion, they used too many CGI effects that kind of took mm-hmm. away from the integrity. Um, but I do agree that um, what is salvageable is the cinematography and the lighting um, and essentially the like editing, I guess, because he try, uh, Chuck tries to make an escape and every hallway that he runs to, she's ultimately at the end of that hallway, slowly making her way towards him, which every hallway he turns down, she's still making that progress slowly, but surely getting closer and closer to him until he finally meets where like essentially like four hallways meet up and she is at first at his every turn and then at first and then is just <sighs> directly in front of him and just kind of go <laughs> oddly goes in for this hug and then just slowly absorbs him so at first it it went from like being really creepy where you're seeing her at the end of this hallway and it's red and it's creepy and then when she goes in for the hug it kind of got comical for me um And then the absorption was just kind of a weird kill for my liking, to be honest. This sequence, though, I really have to state, is the 
most dreamlike sequence I've ever seen done simplistically in a movie before. Like, I love the red lighting. I think it's really, really stunning to look at. Give me the red light special. I'll do that night. I think is so effective and it is the editing and the cinematography because there is one particular shot that I rewound because I loved it so much. It is just a POV shot of someone running down the hallway, but then all of a sudden Chuck runs into frame and it switches the POV to third person within a single take without cutting. And it is the coolest way to depict a dream-like feeling because that is what having a nightmare feels like. You can't escape this creature that continuously yeah. keeps charging at you. So when it hugs him, it switches the tone because it does get really funny. It's weird <laughs> because the woman also goes, <sighs> ah, it's like a fucked up Teletubby. <laughs> Like, it's not the vibe. Stop! It's, it's the strangest choice. It's weird and creepy, but it loses that immediate, like, yeah. uh, paralysis nightmare that you were just having. It Because of that PG-13 yeah. rating, I really want, I would really love to see what they would, could have done with, like, an R. But I love the creature design. I know you don't like it. And I can under, I see why. I see why. But the happy smile that they slapped onto her face makes it creepier for me. That is, ew, ew. It's really, ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the scene. I know a lot of other people who have seen this movie also have mixed feelings about maybe just movie overall, but in particular, the scene. I don't hate it, but it's just, I don't think um, it quite delivered the Where scares. Yeah, and they also didn't deliver the caliber of scares that some of the other creatures did. I agree. It was definitely um, a lost opportunity, especially like we said, Harold and the pale lady and the big toe lady are mm-hmm. probably like the number ones that you think about. So having this maybe death, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also get to that later of what's happened. It's it's a that's where the child tone comes in again for me because they're like, oh, we're going to scare you, but we're going to hug it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going to kill you, but we're going to do it in a really sweet way. (laughs) We cut to Stella making a phone call to her dad crying, saying she's going to die. And if she goes missing, not to look for her, just like her mother. The dad says it's not her fault that her mother left. The dad states it's not her fault that her mom left. And she hangs up. Chief Turner says he needs answers about what's going on. When Ramon asks about his call, Chief calls him out on dodging the draft. (laughs) Since neither of them wants to talk and Stella refuses to go home, they decide to lock them up. Because that's totally legal, the police chief reads one of the stories and asks if Stella wrote it. Just then, he hears a strange noise coming from the fireplace. The kids scream for help, just asking to at least tell them whose name was in the story. It's Ramon. Oh, oh, Ramon. (laughs) (laughs) Ramon quickly recounts a camp story that used to terrify him the jangly man. Just then, a head flies down the chimney and exclaims, Me Tai Doty Walker. Which I still don't get. I still <laughs> get it. Oh, I'm, we'll, t- we'll talk about it in a second. Okay. The chief shoots it, but it does nothing. Just then, the rest of the man's body comes falling down the chimney and begins to put himself back together. When he does, he quickly kills the police chief via a neck snap. The jangly man throws the chief's body against the cell and makes his way towards Ramon, yelling coward at him. 
As he squeezes between the metal bars, Stella grabs the keys from the chief's body and breaks them both out. Ramon makes a getaway while Stella tries to stop Sarah from killing. Let's talk about the Me Tai Doty Walker. <laughs> it's like Yoda. He sounds like Yoda. <laughs> me kill you now. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Is this a real story from the book? Because I don't know. This, this is one. a story from the book, and this is where that child aspect comes in, and it pulls you out because it's creepy. The setup is creepy. I want the I want the cop to die. Seeing the head roll in is creepy. But it the is. minute he says Me Tai Doty Walker. Out and lose, I'm, yeah. It, I, I lost it. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It's it's not scary in the least. It, yeah, I agree. This is where it throws me out a little bit, and you're like, oh, this is definitely like for kids. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it gives me uh, like Disney Channel Halloween movie vibes. Oh my god, it's totally like 13 Days of Halloween. Mm-hmm. That that was ABC Family, but yes, owned by Disney. Everybody's owned by Disney. Oh yeah. Hi, fucking Mickey. Anyway, I want to talk about the emotional beat that you weren't here for because everybody no. in Mm-mm. these notes, Ray put down. She's going to die, and if she goes missing, not to look for her, yada, yada, yada. The dad says it's not her fault that her mom laughed, blah, blah, blah. I dug it. Blibbity, blabbity, blibbity, blibbity, blabbity, blibbity, Nobody cares. I care. I thought it was well done. I really like the actress who plays Stella. I thought she did a fantastic job, and I think that emotional beat was needed. The I think what really gets me is the line of, if I go missing, I would never leave you. And that is just, oh, yeah. ugh, like that is so difficult, especially knowing Stella's story up to this point. And I like it. I know it's not for everybody, but it's a kid's movie. Someone's got to feel bad. I didn't feel bad. <laughs> also, I was, th- this whole time, <laughs> this whole time for- That girl, the- I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> the kids. <laughs> this whole time they kept mentioning Sarah. I kept like for me, this felt very much, and this is before Fear Street. This felt like Fear Street to me for some reason. I don't I know if it was that. the stories or the mentioning of Sarah throughout the entire thing, because I kept thinking Sarah Fear. Because <laughs> it's the setup. This has a classic tone of any ghost story anywhere in middle America of uh-huh. like there's a girl that's different and her family puts her away <laughs> and now she's seeking revenge. It's Carrie. It's Carrie, everybody. <laughs> it's Carrie. It's Sarah Fear. It's Hocus Pocus. It's Christine. <laughs> Christina Aguilera. It's everybody. <laughs> I agree. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's probably why it feels that way. Right? I love the chief's death. I wish I could have seen more of his head twisting. But I think it's effective. You didn't like he it? He deserved it. No, I said that I didn't oh. like it. He had it coming for being a he fucking dipshit. And racist. Yeah, uh, We're right. not making another Chicago reference in this episode. <laughs> People probably hated us for the last one. I, am, I this is This is a great setup. The jangly man, he's fucking terrifying. Because you can absolutely tell the practical to the special effects. And I guess that's a read. <laughs> <laughs> How can he move like that? I really like the effects where they put his face, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, upside down. So when he does fully twist, uh, twist back, it is, uh, it uh. It is creepy looking. Uh, He was quite the contortionist and, oh, the way he scurries like on the ground. (sighs) Oh, they tend to do that like at haunts or anything where they have the sliders as well Mm -hmm. who just slide by you. There was a really popular nuts. Anytime that you're gonna scurry along my path, I will freak the f- out. That's why I don't like rodents or like insects. No, amen. Do not cross my path, bitch. That is I my will walkway. Kick you. That's to kids too. I'm approaching. 
I have to mention really quickly because it becomes an important component for Ramon just as a character and him being a dodge, a, what do they call him? A draft dodger. A draft dodger. How do you feel about that component? Because the Vietnam War has been a setting that's been very, very important to this movie thus far. This is what's so interesting about Ramon and Ramon as a character and this idea of the draft because it is playing with conformity of Ramon not wanting to have to do what he's being told to do in a country that does not accept him. Mm -hmm. We called him a wetback this whole movie. And you're telling him he has to go die for this. This whole scene, by the way, is set to the same night that Nixon was reelected as president, which also showcased the idea of a crook still being able to be the number one person on top. And this ideal of like Americana going away forever. It's dead. The sixties are dead. We're dead and they're not surviving. They're they're not surviving. And this idea of like the perfect family is really showcased in the Vietnam War because it's so dividing. This new idea and generation of people having that same ideology of, I don't want to have to just die for this country. I want to be able to have a say in what I want to say. While it's still the pushback of like this 1960s ideology of conform, bitch, whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that that's played because it's also played with sarah sarah is an outcast because she's different and her family institutionalizes her sarah feels the same exact way and all of these characters are having to come to face with realities with childhood ending and it's all told through scary stories like (laughs) this movie is so fascinating because we've talked about who is this for because preteens aren't going to pick up on this maybe they will later on in life and it'll be relevant for them but mm. I think that's why some of the scores are so back and forth. That's why I think the, 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 the what are they called? The tomato meter score of like all mm. of the critiques are a lot higher because those subtleties are picked up, but kids aren't gonna pick this up. So I know it's fascinating. It's, <laughs> it's so way fascinating. too deep for, for kids. They just wanna see the action. It's, 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 I think it's wonderful. I think it's really wonderful. But I just, I, it, it hurts me because this movie is no longer talked about really. And I wish it was. Uh, it really like flew under the radar. And now, obviously, because I'm barely watching it now, which is a shame because it had these really great underlying stories and tones, especially given the time period and the racism. And mm-hmm. it was a lot to tackle with for something that you just wanted to tell scary stories. So I applaud them for that. Stella makes her way back to the Bellows home. She screams for Sarah to stop. And as she walks around the home, the book disappears from her hands and the home is restored to its former glory. Her story in Ultimate Death is being written in a story called The Haunted House. (gasps) In the story and happening before Stella's eyes, the Bellows family is hunting Sarah down as she has escaped from the basement. Stella makes it to the old woman's room where she gives away her hiding place. Stella looks in the mirror and realizes in the story, she is Sarah. She runs out and finds Lulu who helps her hide. Simultaneously, Ramon is running from his monster while trying to save Stella. Sarah being played by Stella is locked away in the basement for telling the family secret about poisoning the water. Stella sees Sarah's ghost and confronts her, telling her the truth about what her family did to her and how she's turned into the monster her family said she was. After using the power of love against Sarah, she hands Stella a pen in which she tells, in which to tell her story. She explains, Use your blood. Sarah pricks her finger and begins to write the truth about Sarah Bellows. After she does, Sarah lets out a loud shriek that sends her away as well as the jangly man. I dig this finale. I really like this finale. It's so You don't like the power of love. 
Chick Scott learned the power of love. I that's don't the power, power of love. I don't believe it's the power of love. I believe it's the power of stories and truth that sets Sarah free. Because it I don't know how Ramon and Stella can communicate from two different time periods and two different timelines. Oh, I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna ask that <laughs> question. Okay, don't worry about it. But I really like that we get to see how Sarah was treated because you immediately sympathize with this character that's been set up as a witch, as a villain, the whole movie. I love mm-hmm. movies like that. I love movies that show us why you're a villain. Like, hello, Cruella. This is Emma Stone playing a Brit in this movie. So this is yes. like, this is this is fun. Oh, it's not fun. It's really, it's actually really <laughs> up to watch. <laughs> but Sarah and Stella's stories are really, really beautifully told in the sequence of Sarah telling her, I am going to tell your story moving forward. And that's what releases Sarah from being a monster. I really mm-hmm. like this effect. I really love all of that. I think it's really effective. It's a great conclusion, in my opinion, to this movie that's really based off of emotion that Mm -hmm. uses that emotion to tell the scares. That's fair. I agree. And I it kind of wraps up nicely. Well, not so nicely, because obviously there's we'll get to it, but it wraps it up enough that it completes like this, quote unquote, gateway to horror story. Mm -hmm. I I would fully agree. Do you like the flashback sequence? Like, how do you feel about the flashback sequence? Well, when the, I like it because I love seeing the home restored back to its former glory because it's stunning. Like we said, and like we said before, it definitely gives us uh, murder house vibes. The murder house. (laughs) Um, But it's stunning. So I love to see it back in its former glory because even though as fun as the set of like the decrepit condemned home is, it's, you want to see it. You want to see it back in its former glory. Um, so I, I don't mind the flashbacks at all. Um, and I love that we actually get, like, we actually get to see the, like, what happened to Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very satisfying. It is very satisfying. It's a really good way to tell her story and actually depicting her story and using Sarah as that device. Stella writes Sarah's story where it wins and is published in a local writing contest. Ramon is shipped off to Vietnam where Stella promises to write every day. In a voiceover, Stella explains that Chuck and Augie are still gone, and we won't stop until we bring them back. We then pan to see Ruth sitting in the back seat with stitches on her face from the spider bites. We end with Stella, her dad, and Ruth driving off and close with Lana Del Rey's cover of It is the season of the witch, yeah. Must, Must be, be the season, season of, of the witch. witch. Boo, you stink! Okay. We're concluding, we're seeing where all our characters are at. I wasn't ready for them to be like, no, Augie and Chuck are probably still alive. So f- Tom, well, f- Tommy in the first place. No. But just like f- Tommy, he's he's gone. He's officially gone. The Nobody liked him. Even f- Ruth didn't like him. This is true. This is true. But she did get called trash. I like this ending. It wraps everything beautifully like a child movie should. It leaves mm-hmm. the door open for more because scary stories. I didn't know there's like 84 stories in total. Yeah, there's a lot. So you have many multiple things you can play off of. I'm very interested to see how they're going to play off of it because Stella and Ramon are supposed to come back for the sequel. I want to know, are we going to be older? Are we going to explore new themes? Because this is such a I have to be older. (laughs) I hope so. This is such a great way to showcase like the ending of like childhood nostalgia and like learning our lessons. This is the theme. 
everyone's moving on with their lives. And I was gagged. <laughs> I literally went, <gasps> yes, when I saw Ruth at the end of this movie. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, stitched up like trash. Um, <laughs> well, because they said that they had institutionalized her, and that's—it's so sad. That's so sad. So, especially to in that time period, especially to use the word institutionalized. Mm. I see. Looking at you, girl, interrupted. Oh, but that's such a good movie. Solid movie. It's a great ending. Solid ending. I love that they brought Ruth back in. I hope we see Ruth in the sequel. I would love to see more Ruth. Um, I would also love to see them tackle this whole saving of Chuck and Augie, because I would love to see Augie come back. Almost as much as I would love to see Ramon come back. Oh, oh, Ramon. Oh. <laughs> but it's a solid ending. It's wrapped up nicely. Uh, you got your little Stella and her dad moment. Um, Ruth got her, like, a nice little character arc. Good. So we are at the end of our movie. What are you going to give this week's flick in your final scores? Are you going to rent it? Are you going to return it? Are you going to buy it? After much anticipation, because this movie came out, what, two years? Three years ago, right? Three years ago yeah, now, yeah. And we still haven't gotten a sequel. Well, COVID. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so after much anticipation and much putting it off, and I remember even watching The Dead Meat on this because me and Richard hadn't watched it yet. And so I was like, let's at least watch The Dead Meat on it and see if it's worth the watch. And Richard, I, I guess at the time we both decided we didn't need to see it. So when we put it on the list for the pod, I was like, okay, now I really have to watch it. I actually really enjoyed watching it this Yay! time around. Uh, I grew up on this book series. This is my childhood. I totally wore this with nostalgia glasses. And it, it didn't disappoint for the most part. Um, I love the practical effects. I love the setting. The characters were really great and flushed out aside from uh, Tommy, but that he's meant to be that way. And I, I don't know, I just overall enjoyed it. Yeah, there were some aspects I didn't like, but there's always gonna be aspects I don't like for movies. Um, did I love it? Uh, I teetered that line, but did I like it? Absolutely. So I would recommend renting it. Yay, ding, 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 ding. I'm glad, I'm so glad that this is your first time watching it. That we actually have to document it because I think it's always fun when we get to talk about movies for the first time. If you could not tell from the way I talked about this movie, I really love it. I'm gonna buy this movie, absolutely. I think this movie has a lot of things to say. I don't know who they're telling it to. And I don't mean that as a disrespect <laughs> or as a detriment, but I, I hope it just doesn't get lost because this movie is beautiful. The mm -hmm. artistic direction, the sets, the costuming, everything is done with a beautiful nod. I think its themes are wonderful. And I would absolutely show this to young kids. I don't know how young though. That's where I get a little trepidatious. I don't know if I'm gonna show this. <laughs> I'm gonna show it to my three-year-old niece. She's gonna love it. She's gonna love it. So th that's where I just get a little lost. I don't know who I'm gonna show this to, but I think anyone who watches it would have a great time. It's a good movie. It's a great time. You can dance to it. It's got a Lana Del Rey cover. Speaking of Lana Del Rey, next week we'll what be welcoming some very special that was guests. The worst <laughs> We'll be welcoming some very special guests to help us with our Halloween hangovers. Helping us discuss our very first family-friendly flick will be AJ and John Day from Destination 180. They are visiting the store to discuss Disney Channel's Halloween smash sequel, Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. Oh my God. Because why we like to jump around in, in series. We don't ever go in order. We've never gone in order on this show, so don't <laughs> expect us to do it now. I am so freaking excited 
to have Destination 180. Yes. I've talked about them endlessly on our own show. And not friends only of that, the pod, friends of their pod. Not only that, the fact that Ray let me put this on the schedule makes me so God. happy. It's a holiday miracle. <laughs> we, I had conflicting, I don't get me wrong, I love the movie. Spoiler alert. But um, I just, I don't know, conflicting, I don't know. I still have mixed feelings about it, but I'm sure it's fucking smash hit because everything I'm always on the fence for, y'all bitches end up loving. Cursed. Uh, 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 cursed, another uh, cursed, cursed, cursy, <laughs> stupid bitch. If you would like to keep up with us, please follow the queens on Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. And my personal account is at STFU Ray. We would love for y'all to leave a comment and rate the podcast. If you love what you hear, hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming. That concludes this week's episode, y'all. We hope you enjoyed, and we hope to see you or listen next week when we have our very special guest, our I'm second so guest of the season. Just helping us with these horrible hangovers, y'all. Oh, I know, but this will definitely cure that hangover because, <laughs> bitch, a Disney Channel original, I'm y'all so are excited. in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you guys had a great time and we will catch y'all on the next one. Stay safe and stay queer, y'all. Catch you on the flip side. Bye, 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 bye. bye.